Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another episode of... Beneath the screen of the Ultra Critics, and then in brackets, imagine I did a Belgian accent. Oh, wow. Okay. Seems racist. <laughs> going... Let's see, we're going the narration route. <laughs> oh, was I not supposed to... Oh, stage directions. God. That's fine. That's fine. Because of our incredibly scripted uh, work. That <laughs> Disappointed. We <do> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about it like our work. Disappointed. <laughs> uh, oh, um, today's episode, we're doing a compare contrast of mm. two adaptations of the famous Agatha Christie novel, Murder on the Orient Express, the 1974 Sidney Lumet film, and the 2017 Kenneth Branagh film. Man. Um, I'm guessing I, uh, you guys had only seen the Kenneth Branagh version. I had never seen I'd Kenneth Branagh version either. Um, okay. Uh, I will say, however, that we did watch both of these movies in one day in chronological release order, and man, wow, um, <laughs> that did not do a service to the Kenneth Branagh version. I can not. understand. <laughs> which which and i mean i'm going to end up just because of how we watched it and like the, the i it made me be a lot more unkind to the brana one than i think it deserves but um i'll put it uh, to you so like the, this he does a much better job on death on the nile oh, cool. okay good like that actually makes me somewhat more interested in seeing that movie right like it's much more like of a what he does fits better with the story in that one okay. than what I think he's trying to do with this one. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Now, I have only um, I have only ever read Agatha Christie's short stories. I've not actually read any of her novels. Okay. Have you read Murder on the Orient Express? I read it once a year. You, I knew it, you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> At least I did before the pandemic started. But that's just a... Uh... Yeah. Well, there has but been no. I was, I was always, no time. I mean, I was... Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, I don't mean that yeah. there isn't any time to do anything. I mean that time has ceased to be, ceased to exist in amorphous blob. Right. Yeah. Uh, time is broken. We all live in um, the warp now. I mean, I was always much more of, uh, of uh, uh, like, Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett era mystery guy. I, uh, I tend to become a little more detached the further back in time we go, with the exception of, I guess, a little bit of Poe and... Uh, Sherlock Holmes. Well, and, uh, for some reason, I've just never really dove into Agatha Christie, despite the fact that I've enjoyed what I've le- read of her. Um, so, I I too went through the um, noir phase, as you call it, the, mm. the Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett, as you remember that. Mm. <laughs> but when I moved to New York, I fell into Agatha Christie. And I sh- well, you also oh, you also had like the Strand bookstore. You just sauntered right. over to. So I read a lot of. Miss Marple and Poirot and her others. Um, I tend to prefer Miss Marple to Poirot, actually. And my favorite Poirot stories tend to be without Inspector Hastings. Hmm. Because Inspector Hastings' entire job is to be disbelieving. Oh, he's Lestrade, right? Right. Like he's the only the, problem the is he's there the entire time, so he seems like a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, you have to understand by now that he might be somewhat on a point right like he mm. might be right you can't just be like that's impossible you've seen him do the impossible yeah and i feel like kara you you're mostly in the homes area as i understand it right like you as far as like you don't read a lot of mysteries your your other genres are sort of your yeah uh, I, I do always preference. love a crossover genre with the mystery so i always love like um 
there's actually this series called uh, The Night Side that uh, mixes noir mm. with like hard urban fantasy, I guess would be the best way. So things like that I truly love. But I don't generally like mystery novels. But what's very funny about this is my grandparents adored mystery novels. And the oh, amount of my childhood I spent watching um, Murder, She Wrote – and Hercule Poirot with like the beginning. It was like on a set. It was like a Sunday night special, and the entry was always in like this cartoon form. And I always got so excited, hoping it was a cartoon. And then it was the damn guy with the mustache again. <laughs> I went back the hell in time. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, well, I, I gotta say, I I was still, I still am a little bit shocked that your grandparents were not Columbo watchers. Oh, they were. It's just remember, by the time I came along, like. Columbo wasn't on as often and when they were both watching TV a lot more um it would have oh, been yeah, she wrote as much more and yeah, syndication I guess that yeah that that makes sense yeah, I mean yeah. we're we're talking like my grandma died in 2016 so like the advent of like really good access to things wasn't as much although my grandpa did have more movies in his house than most hollywood videos so right. you know well <laughs> also understand as much as popular as columbo was murder she wrote was oh, yeah. a massive hit for CBS. No, I, it was inescapable. Yeah. Like I, uh, even not really being interested in mysteries as a kid, I've seen a lot of Murder, She I've probably seen more of Murder, She Wrote until I had seen of Columbo until I became an adult and started watching Columbo well, on purpose. And I'm also like, I've been into mysteries since a kid. I read The Hardy Boys. I read Encyclopedia Brown. I watched <gasps> I Murder, She Encyclopedia Brown. I watched Murder, She Wrote with my mom as well as Matt Locke and Diagnosis Murder. Oh, yeah. Perry Mason. Yeah. Man, I feel like the the death of broadcast television has really sort of burned out uh, mystery shows. Right, uh, Monk. I feel yeah. the mystery yeah. show has changed into being more of a police procedural. The, either that, or it's like an <laughs> it's a police procedural, or it's a eight episode miniseries mm-hmm. in which mm. there is no reliable narrator. Oh, I still need to get Kara to watch Elementary. Ooh, Elementary is um, so much fun. I adore Elementary. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, Jeremiah, I've only ever seen, I think, the first two seasons. While yes. you were talking and you're talking about all of these mystery shows, I just, like, was flung forcefully backwards in time to being in my grandparents' <laughs> living room, coloring my coloring book, being like, Christ, when this is, when is this going to end? As they watch <laughs> mystery after mystery after mystery. And I watched so many as a kid. I remember being, like, seven and looking up and being like, it's that guy. My grandpa's like, how do you know? I'm like, because the way he came on the frame. And I was right. And they were Still so language. mad. They were furious with me. My grandma's like, never do that well, again. I mean, you ruined the show. Well, I mean, the other way that you know who it is, is uh, who is the guest star? Right. Oh, wow. Johnny Cash is here. I wonder why. Well, I mean, at Columbo, that's hard right. Yeah, but um, <laughs> then also um, there's a show. I at least I think I've introduced is a fat Endgame. Oh yeah, I love. Oh, that. Endgame uh, is such a treat. Not the uh, oh, crappy I'm... Marvel movie. No, this is a <laughs> Canadian television show. <laughs> yeah, uh, partly inspired by oh heck, what's that? The the mystery protagonist who never left his brownstone in New York. I can't remember. Oh, Neil Wolf. Name. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, my uh, grandparents love that. Yeah, it's about this chess master uh, who Russian refuses chess master. to leave. <laughs> yeah, who, who refuses to leave his um, his his hotel room, luxury uh, hotel room. Hotel. 
yeah, luxury hotel room and uh is keeps almost being thrown out for not paying his bills so he starts solving mysteries via like his uh kid sidekick and uh, other people and his like uh i think dead wife's sister was that I yes know? i can't remember yep oh, okay yeah the very good show uh i think it w- is on some streaming platform or other people should should look uh, it up. only so, one okay. season sadly because there is no god hmm. <laughs> Anyway, uh, but speaking of mysteries... <laughs> hey, uh, Kara, would you about? care to sum up uh, the thrust of murder on the Orient Express? So what's, what's extremely frustrating is these are in no way the same movie, but they are exactly the same movie. Right. Um, so like going through plot points is incredibly useless, Yeah. Uh, frustratingly enough. So the basic <laughs> is that Hercule, Hercule, not Hercules, Hercule Poirot, Hercules Perot. Wow. <laughs> you just no, it's Perot. Hey, Perot. Yeah. Um, Hercule Perot is called to London and has to hurriedly board a train and grab a car, and he's not really supposed to be on there, which does end up being a thing, like sort of the accidental detective. He is a well-known, brilliant detective, and he has to board this train with his friend who owns the train. I think, like the. He's the director. Director, thank you. And a a cast of odd, annoying, interesting, sad, pathetic, and grim characters creeps on the train, especially a man named Ratchet, who tries to convince Poirot to work for him as a bodyguard. Poirot turns it down because it is A, boring, and B, Ratchet's clearly a tool. And then Ratchet winds up dead, drugged, stabbed to death with 12 wounds, and somebody on the now snowbound Orient Express has killed him. Who could it be? And since everyone on this train is both completely insane and an idiot, <laughs> the mystery, <laughs> the plot sickens, um, slowly devolving to stranger and stranger turns, red herrings, denouements, finally resulting in Poirot, uh, in both versions, offering two versions of the murder. The first one being that a mafiosa has snuck onto the train, murdered the man, and somehow snuck off in the middle of a snowstorm. The second is that all 12 people are actually linked to the murder of a little girl named Daisy Armstrong, and one way or another, all of them have to deal with the household. So Daisy was kidnapped and murdered, very clearly um, the, a Lindbergh baby illusion. And after young Daisy was kidnapped and murdered, her mother died during a miscarriage and her father shot herself and the housemaid accused of being in league with the murder committed suicide. Five deaths. And each one of the people we find out on the train in some way was linked to one of those people. There's a godmother, the house cook, um, the man who was in love with the maid, the little boy who lived next door who adored the mother. And slowly it's revealed that the mother of the woman, the mother, uh, Daisy Armstrong's grandmother, in her terrible grief, has assembled people who are affected by this kidnapping, found the other man responsible for it, Ratchet, and has created a scene in which they poison him and they all stab him one time as a way of exercising their grief and anger. And Poirot offers the people which which is the true solution to the mystery, one or two. They agree that it's one and they all go their separate ways. And, uh, yeah. Except in the second movie, instead of it being a cool exposition mystery, it has to become incoherent, pointless action sequences. Uh, 
Look, the 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 Kenneth Branagh's version was bitten by a radioactive Jason Bourne, <laughs> and just some things happen, which is a shame because it is a marvelous cast. <laughs> well, um, it also does something that's really not just admirable, but like he does it in a small way. Like he uh, he updates the cast in like a way that's wonderful, it. right? And yeah, also right. like doesn't just like. Do inclusion for inclusion's sake? Like, well, no, you can't just have this be in 19... 19- yeah, because it, it does change the dynamics but, of, like, why certain relationships are the way they are, which affects what clues there are for uh, for Poirot to pick up but, on. Like, it, it's it, it's not... Uh, the, the things that bother me about the second one are complicated uh, until it gets to the end. Then it gets very simple, what bothers me about <laughs> it. But, um, but before we get to that... So um, I think honestly, um, part of what the second one does is taking, showing, not telling, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas it's, it's primary May is, is much more I, not believing that because Kenneth Branagh is not like a green director. I I think it's like he's he's made like... movies before. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the show not tell it's also that I, I don't know we can't right. be a lot like like we can't build atmosphere because it constantly gets punctured by action sequences it's like no just just let it build like i would say that in both of these a lot of things happen you're kind of like why was that the, not filmically but like character wise like narratively like why did this character do this weird thing and then the first one it all comes together it's oh like they're all kind of flailing around trying right. to make sure that they're not hosed while in the second one it hmm. feels like it's very clearly being done in order to create action but like upon secondary reflection you're like that makes no sense like you just screwed you, you weren't trying to fix a problem you just did something because the script needed something to happen and it's, right. it's frustrating it feels very less about character yeah like the core <laughs> of both the, the core of, of of murder on the orient express is that this group of people, you know, masterminded by the the um, uh, Linda uh, calls Miss Hubbard, yeah, like Lauren Bacall slash Michelle Pfeiffer's character, Miss Hubbard, um, who is actually uh, Linda Arden, the yeah. famous actress, uh, Miss Hubbard slash Arden, um, have have concocted the perfect way of doing this, and because Poirot has muscled on there thanks to his buddy owning the train line. They have to wing it. They have to like do their thing, but kind of wing getting away with it in in new ways. And like it's it's a nice little bit of like, oh, this was going to be like a little like nice wind up uh, like clockwork murder, and now they have to like sort of do a little bit of flailing. But like the the ways that that plays out in in the seventy four version versus the twenty seventeen version is like. The 2017 one is 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 it finds excuses to be much more like actiony and uh, uh, and also well uh, instead instead of dogging on the the 2017 version let me let me talk about what I love about the 1974 version okay which I think it, it does a lot for for what made me not like the 2017 one even though I think it's a good movie yeah actually Thais can I say something real quick. The difference for me is that in the 1974 version, there are two things that go wrong. It's Poirot and the fact that they are stuck in an avalanche. 
in a snowstorm. Mm. That was not, neither one of those things was supposed to happen. And so it's very clear that the plan was that they were going to drug him, murder him, and they were going to make it look like someone snuck on the train and snuck off the train. And that's how the murder happened. And everything that they mm -hmm. do in the 74 version that's the flailing is still trying to build into that narrative yeah. more and push that narrative further. Of course, they screw it up mm -hmm. because Poirot's a genius and they're just normal people, as opposed to in the 17, 2017 version where everything they do is just to distract from the thing that happened a moment before, but it doesn't build towards the main narrative of someone stuck in and off the train. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um. But uh, anyway, the the thing I was going to say about the 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 central thing that I love about the 1974 version, and again, it's got a, a fantastic cast. Um, it's got a lot of of good things going for it. But the the actual way the filming and staging inside the train is always claustrophobic and just inescapably like crowded and tight, oh. and you are in the train with them, right? Like everything about the staging and the, the set construction and the way the shots are framed, you are trapped in this place with them. Well, yeah, the hallways are really narrow. Like it, two people going, like have to walk single file. Yeah. Um, even like the carriages aren't that big. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's so good. Well, like it's so committed to that. What Brownell does is basically he takes a, a, British murder mystery and basically mm. makes an American Hollywood movie. Yeah. Because there are a lot of action sequences. There's a chase and a gunfight. These things do not happen normally in a Christie novel. There are two chases yeah. and a gunfight. Because we also open with a short chase scene with Poirot unveiling the, the like police captain right. stealing a thing. And then like there's a brief chase with him and... Uh, yeah, I. Mm. It, that's There's also that, frustrating. That, that worries That's me. also <laughs> frustrating for me because th there are several parts in the '74 version that are very funny, where people say things that are extremely witty and funny, and Poirot laughs at them. And so right. it, it does have mm. this edge of like sort of manic comedy to it. That's like the the manic comedy is like internal, like we're all stuck on a train and this guy and somebody died and we're all living our stupid lives like Christ. <laughs> and it, it's mm. it's very enjoyable. And I was like, oh, they're going to lean more into the comedic aspects in this one because it opened with a sort of like comedic thing. And then they didn't. They just wanted to dial up all of the emotions really high. It's very Shakespearean. Yeah. yeah. And in a way that's like it almost doesn't fit the story. Mm -hmm. um, the 1974, LeMay does a thing that kind of what I talked about with the Batman in which mm. there used to be a time when a movie was dead serious, but also kind of fun yeah, and funny. And it was like, they did it without having to stop and tell a joke or call attention to himself. Yes. Mm. And what LeMay allows a lot is like characters to be characters and also like just conversations. Like there's no joke. It's just, there's a gag of the Hungarian doctor and his friend, um, the director after every uh, interview going, they did it. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good joke. But that's a very character-oriented humor. And it's not somebody trying to be funny. It's a character being played as a person because we know these people. We know that person right. that makes the weirdly inappropriate comments or tells the witticism of their own. Uh, Actually, and Thaddeus and I said this over and over again, you know what's the best remake of Murder of the Orient Express? What? Knives Out. 
Knives out. Nah, yeah. <laughs> like Knives Out understands this. There's there's a I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I'm going to keep doing it cuz I'm not really sorry. You 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 do you are on this show right. like regularly. It's okay. The, Fine. The 2017 version has two different interviews being inter uh, intercut. One is an Australian doctor who's kind of a racist played by William Defoe, and the other Austrian. What did I say? Australian. Australian. Well, Christ, right. that's very different. <laughs> <laughs> Australia's in Europe. We all know that. Um, <laughs> By the way, Willem Dafoe is fantastic. He is. Oh, he's so good. Great role. Um, <laughs> but it's intercut between this Austrian, sorry about that, Austrian doctor who's kind of racist, uh, being given his interview along with this sort of much more upbeat, cheery interview being given uh, by an Italian-American. But there's no reason for the intercut. No. They don't play off against each other. It doesn't create a no. contrast or a humor or an enlightenment. Yeah. They aren't con contradicting each other. It's confusing as to why that was the choice, which, again, led me back to Knives Out, which has a great intercut where um, one character says, only an idiot would answer that question. And then it flips to her husband <laughs> being like, yeah, sure. And then he's answering the question. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, the intercut in Knives Out has meaning because it's reflecting on what one person says versus another person says it gives us character building and like the dynamics yeah. between these people as his very intelligent somewhat icy wife and the kind of incredibly uh self-involved idiot that her husband is and both of those personality traits play out through the rest of the movie as opposed to this yeah. where the excitable italian and the racist austrian kind of doesn't end up being important to the plot those right. character traits yeah like the 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 interviews the the use of the interviews in in the 2017 version like i get i i think i get what they wanted to do and i i find it cowardly but i'm a, a judgmental <laughs> asshole um i they didn't want to have a series of individual interviews like uh the the lemay version did and i get that well and again looking at knives out you can do that and make it like still give us a give us an interesting way of intercutting those but like i don't know something about the 2017 version feels like they intercut them mostly to save time and you can have action without action if you intercut and interweave things really well so that way you get a lot of emotional action on the screen but not actually and therefore you don't have to have a fake gun chase also in the incredible <laughs> denouement at the end of the gun chase which is that oh, the guy that shot at me is an army, like, sharpshooter, and therefore when he missed, like, he did it on purpose, which is then followed up by the greatest line, which is, I know none of you here are murderers. Sir, you don't become <laughs> a, sniper a sniper without shooting somebody <laughs> right. in the head, especially in 1924, <laughs> not far off of a war. What? You reminded us two minutes ago that he was a sniper. So the man the was thing... a sniper in World War One. Like he, you, I, I agree with the assessment that soldiers aren't necessarily murderers, but he has killed people. <laughs> One of the things that separates the movies is Lumet is comfortable with Poirot as a fully formed character from yeah. the very beginning. This is not an arc. This is oh, this is a case. He will solve it. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. we live in a franchise culture, Brownow is attempting to give us um, some sort of arc for Poirot. He's uh, Poirot origins Wolverine. Right. And this is like he's he's a great detective, but now by the end he'll become a great man or something along those lines. Because mm. he by the end he realizes 
there must be another form of justice or something because mm. yeah. none of these people deserve to go to court. Whereas Lomé is like, Poirot's not an idiot. He knows this. <laughs> yeah, like the the and Poirot actually is much from the beginning figures out that there is something off in the 74 version a way that he does not he's much smarter in the 74 yeah. version and it's also very clear <laughs> that he's like i don't care that you stabbed a guy to death who murdered a child why would <laughs> you I lie to me that's what i care he's like why would yeah, I, care? I just in i just want to know what happened because that's what i do i i want he, to know yeah. what happened in, in in the first again in the 74 version um and both of them ratchet approaches poro and says be my bodyguard like i'm getting threatening messages and the uh 2017 version of poro tells him no because you're a tool the 74 version says no because it's boring <laughs> <laughs> and that's a much better character. It's like I don't I I'm here to solve mysteries because it feeds my mind. I am not right. here to solve crimes because I think crime is moral. Also just going to point out that believing that whether or not something is legal is your ground for morality is actually one of the lowest forms of moral and emotional development. Right. Like it's it's like this man this man just went to a colonized country and is like, you know, if something is illegal, it's wrong. Okay, sir, uh, enjoy your trip away from Jerusalem. I'm glad you reflected <laughs> on that in 24. Um, it's also like the way Poirot must be convinced to work on the case. In the mm. Banner version, he has to be like, talked into it like at least a couple of yeah. scenes whereas Paul Rowe was like oh I'm on vacation please okay fine mm -hmm. <laughs> like he doesn't put up that I, he can't like stay away from a puzzle like that too long it's too tasty oh yeah and I mean like this is I, I can't really give this story crap for the convenience of like the detective being uh, happening to be in this place at this time because that's been riffed on so not only that but like but that's I, the point of this entire thing <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's the whole it's the whole bit. And there the I think one of the things about it is that this is a setup that's been riffed so many times. Even Columbo had a like, oh, I'm on this cruise ship. Right. And it's like, oh, I just Oh no, the best riff of this would have to be the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic episode where it's oh, a God. cake that gets eaten and Pinkie Pie has to solve the mystery. This is not a joke. Uh, no, I know it's not a joke. I remember. You don't hear <laughs> me laugh. I've seen the pony show. <laughs> uh, I will say yeah, I've so, I saw the movie. Not I've seen both of them, uh, and both of what? them have moments where I'm like, I can't believe you made this for a child. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that's that's the bit in any good children's <laughs> entertainment though. Like, there's a death that's... in the first My Little Pony uh, movie that came out like three or four years ago. That I was legit like what? <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think any 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 good ch it's it's the Pixar thing. Yeah. Like it, it should traumatize a, a child a little bit. Yeah, if you make a good movie, then it should leave a permanent scar on a child. Yeah, like that's very that's, how, that's just how you make children. But um, it's very similar to my reaction to wherever anyone uh, plays the music from the land before time without knowing why I begin to sob uncontrollably and long for my mother. You know it's why. hard to explain. Ashley, that is a movie that I cannot name around my wife. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, all right. Then. Um, <laughs> yeah, for the very same reason that Peter the Kid mentioned. Um, yeah. yeah. 
anyway. <laughs> also, what's uh, interesting uh, is the, the amount of transformation Albert Fenny does for Poro and the yeah. amount of transformation Plano does for his. Which, don't get me wrong, love that fucking mustache. That is a look. If you're gonna go for a mustache, <laughs> like I appreciate him doing something different than the traditional Poirot, right. while still being as extra as possible. But Albafeni also has like an egg-shaped suit, almost. Like he yeah, gives himself, is, like, because he's an egg-shaped man. Christy even describes him as such a couple of times. Yeah. But also, he's like, like a weird old man with an egg-shaped head. Well, and also <laughs> we mentioned I mentioned Monk. Poirot has mm. always been like for me, the obvious inspiration for Adrian Monk, yep. which is always why whenever they tried to do the whole Sherlock Holmes like allegory stuff, I was like, this doesn't, like, I get why, because everyone knows Holmes, but like, mm-hmm. Poirot Holmes is kind of OCD <laughs> and weird, and that's just like Monk. Yeah, Holmes was never finicky. He did, yeah. like, like that's sort of an artifact of, like, later versions of him. Mm, and also, yeah. he's not scared of women. He's just yeah. uninterested. All he wants is his violin, his cocaine, and his mysteries because he gets bored <laughs> yeah. easily. Yeah. Oh, actually, that reminds me of a, a que- of something I wanted to ask you about. No, you can't okay. about cocaine on the podcast, dude. Come on, have dignity. If there are other people, I would ask if I was interested in cocaine. <laughs> uh, I, I know Jeremiah well enough to know that that's not a direction I need to go. <laughs> but uh, no, no, no. Uh, one of the one of the other big like things with differences in the the Poirots of the two films is in the Branagh version, he had like a a, a photo of a lost Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, that's just, again, something to give Branagh like, a backstory. Because yeah. this is from an era in which detectives didn't really have backstories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were yeah, just they, detectives. They, just, they, they sprung fully right. formed out of the Zeus's head of the writer. And, like. well, and while the 1974, you understand that Paul Rowe is, in fact, like he's not a monk. He likes women. Yeah. He even bragged about how he's an expert on the receding forms of many women. <laughs> um, uh, I also, but I don't know, just like, yeah, just like that, like that weird choice because uh, I don't know that it plays again, better in like, Death of a Nile than it does here. Okay, because it feels so out of left field. It is. It's a. It's again. It's a thing of like making like using murder and the Orient Express as a sort of de facto origin yeah. story for this new phase yeah, it is, of. It's kind of turned into just a modern American action thriller, while still having a lot of great like you know bits right. of, of things just from the characters and the the, the setup itself. Um, I will say the Branagh version gave us the pleasure of watching Johnny Depp get stabbed like a dozen times. <laughs> I, can we just like appreciate that apparently dis- like <laughs> people keep giving Johnny Depp work but also like they keep making him worse and worse people. <laughs> Cuz like he's also wizard Hitler, isn't he? Uh, I think like, they got, that, I like, think Fredo they replaced Ball him with Matt Mickelson. Oh, okay. Well, I also like Mads Mikkelsen should replace everyone most people. Forever. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but getting back to um, the murders, I, I do want to add one thing though, because you talked about the costuming. I like Albert Finney's costuming more than '74 Poirot, except for oh. one thing that I think is more of an artifact of its time. Okay, they powdered him way too white. No, oh, yeah. way too white. Like it's it's bad. Like they're very. Yeah. There's he looks he looks like a clown. You know how they did the makeup bit. for him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Fenny was definitely doing a stage production. I forget of what at the time. So he was doing a play and oh. filming this. Oh no! Right. So at <laughs> night he would be filming. He would be doing the play, 
And then afterwards, he would get home, get like an hour or two of sleep. They would then come to his door in an ambulance, knock on his door. Oh, you did the Orson Welles thing. Right, and they would care, and he would just sleep in the ambulance on the ride to the studio, and they would put the makeup on him. Oh, wow. How did he not break out? You should never sleep with makeup on. <laughs> Don't sleep with makeup on, uh, kids. If you leave this podcast, but nothing else, do not sleep in your makeup, especially your eye makeup. But uh, yeah, that's probably why that is. Um, but also, um, Lumet um, is a film director who comes from theater. Yeah. Whereas Brownell is, even after all the movies he's made, is still just a theater guy. And so yeah, he uses that's, that's film in a way that's much more. How how to put this? Like, it's not that he does it in a bland way, but he uses much more in a stylistic way. Yeah, he doesn't seem like he seems interested in images that he thinks are interesting, right. but not necessarily ones that mesh that that utilize film choices as a storytelling medium in itself. Well, uh, you know? well, LeMay and uh, Jeffrey Unsworth, who does the camera work in the 74 version, there's a voyeuristic mm. feel to it. Yeah! Like, you feel like like when he's peeping around the door, you're peeping with him. The train mm-hmm. itself is an actual character. Yes. Yes. Um, like, at one point, especially towards the end, there's a shot outside from the uh, conductor's point of view as they get mm. going after the snowdrift has been cleared. Mm. Um, but um, the way that he and uh, the and and who does the editing, they use it all mm. to give you that claustrophobic feel, but also like in little ways giving you an idea of what is the past, what is a memory, mm-hmm. and mm. like while Branna is just like, well, do it in black and white if it's the past, <laughs> and to give a big dramatic feel, we'll have everyone watching it on the movie in a weird meta context. And then I'll have yeah. the scene with Daisy Ridley where we're having tea on a side of a mountain, and it'll look gorgeous. Yeah, there's a, and there's a lot of gorgeous shots right. in the Branagh version, like just in like separated from anything else. They're just very pretty. But what's into it? Go ahead, Kat. Get what the ca- what cameras can do. Right. Like he, it's like he imagines that it's like there is a person watching and then there's a person taking photos and we have taken those two people and made the things they see move. But he doesn't understand Mm. that it does its own thing. Like you can do things with cameras that convey emotions. It's, it's odd. What's even like the, no, what were you going to say then? Well, yeah. Cause like one of, I, I, I'm not trying to bash the 2017 one super hard, but there were just a lot of individual moments that really shook me. And one of the first big ones was after the murder, um, when when the body is discovered, and we don't go into the room. There's just this this kind of odd choice to have a, a top down shot from the hallway outside, right? Have like Poirot and the doctor go in while we stay outside, or like the Eye of God shot for some reason. This, yeah, but like for some reason, it doesn't go into the room at that time, but then it follows Poirot when he goes back to his cabin and it goes in his cabin. And then later, we do have that Eye of God shot over the the body in the room. So it's it seems arbitrary. Like, I don't know why they chose not to show us the crime. It's a weird thing where, like, I think he chose it because it looked cool and it does. But it yeah. doesn't really add anything. 
Unlike right. what he did before that, when he first gets on the train and we he just follows him as he walks down the hall from outside. I yeah, like that. 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 Was, I, not, I thought that was an interesting difference. Right. Yeah. Like that. And not only that, but also shows just like how the train is constructed in a way. Doesn't show like how claustrophobic it is, but it does show how crowded it is. And it's that's what I was saying. Like he has a guy who's like, oh, this picture will be cool. And they right. take the photo because again, the eye of God shot, like it, it's a cool shot, but like what, what's it doing? Right. Oh. And um, it should be noted real quick. Hans Zambalokos. Oh. I don't know how I said that right. Uh, is, I thought it was Harris. Harris. It's a Greek Harris. name. I, I don't Harris know. Harris Zambalokos. I apologize. Um, Z- Zambalokos. Yeah, yeah, did something, it for that. I believe like that. he also did Death on an Isle, too. Uh, yeah, he has worked together with Branna several times. Um, mm-hmm. He also did the, the cinematography for the first Thor movie, which uh, Branna also directed. Oh, yeah. One I um, like. As well as uh, the Jack Ryan movie that Branna did. Uh, that I have not seen Cinderella. and have no idea. <laughs> uh, uh, he, he's worked with Branna a lot uh, m- more as we get closer to the present. Because right. um, I think he, he and Branna worked on the last four movies that Branna did. And, uh, from Murder on the Orient Express to Death on the It Nile. happens. Directors love working yeah. with cinematographers. Um, what's really interesting is also like the way... Fenny plays Poirot, he changes with every interview. Yes, he got, and interviewing them to get certain reactions. Right, whereas Branagh's Poirot is always Branagh's Poirot. Like, yeah. he may lay traps, but it's like, he doesn't like change who he is. Whereas Poirot with um, Mrs. Hubbard is short Hubbard and Finney. to the point. Yeah. With uh, Ingrid Burr, Ingrid Bergman's character, he's very sweet and kind mm. and understanding. And with um, Miss, oh, what's her name? <laughs> There's so many characters. So many characters. Debenham. He's very much trying to get a reaction out of Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you can, and you can see, like, it. You can see the the logic of all of these choices without them being explained right. to you. Also, can I just say, Cassie and Penelope Cruz as the Ingrid Bergman character, yes. especially after the 1974 when so on about little brown babies. Oh, <laughs> wow! <laughs> like that one is clearly an not just a product of his time, but the product of the book's time as well. As like, yeah, yeah, very much. Uh, I, I, God. No complaints about either cast. No, though. the like, cast are great. Just... Cast nailed it. Well, it's also weird that the cast in the seventy four version seems like they get to have more like fun. Like Lemay will like linger a camera on them just a second or two longer to allow like a it lot is, of flourish. It is, it is allowed to be an ensemble movie in a way that like I think because of the sort of Americanization of the 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 twenty seventeen one, a lot of that gets pushed aside, which is unfortunate. Well, also because. If you notice the scenes in the seventy four one, the there's a lot more actors crammed into a frame, yeah, than there is in crowded as hell in the uh, twenty seventeen version. But also, mm. like Mrs. Hubbard in the original one, played by Lauren Bacall, oh. is just she's, an unstoppable, obnoxious force. <laughs> she is unbearable, and it's I fantastic. Was so... <laughs> I was so happy to see that Michelle Pfeiffer was playing that role. And then as the movie went on, I got increasingly bummed out that they made her act like a normal person. A normal person who's just slightly horny. 
Yeah. As opposed to somebody who is the most teeth grindingly obnoxious, shrieking harridan of a Karen you have ever seen in your life. And like, she's like, so we- awful that you're like, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye. Like, that's her whole biz. Like, she's like, I am such a horrible presence that people I are mistrustful going to pre- on drugs. That people yeah. are going to pretend also, like- I'm not even there. <laughs> and like, she had enough of a presence that she had a running gag. <laughs> like, she had the my first husband, my second husband, like gag. Well, that and, and um, like, Martin Balsam, who plays um, Brent, uh, Poirot's book in the '74 version, mm. and it's like Mrs. Subbot is on the move, and he just runs away. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like that. Like some of those choices really bum me out because, like, again, I really like the cast of the 2017 version, and a lot of them just didn't get as much to do. Um, but I should say, Martin Balsam plays Bonacci in the in the 2017 version. He he's played. Mm. They combine the Hungarian doctor with Arbanov and mm. make Bonacci uh, Buk, who I really like him. Uh, let's see, what well, who is my show Buk? Either way, like, I love the fact, like, there's a sort of, like, gleeful sort of nepotism about him. He even has a line of, nepotism is a great job if you can get it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's, like, that, I really liked that dynamic, especially when he's, when he and and Poirot run into each other. Yeah. And Poirot is like, oh, uh, hey, she's a prostitute. And they're both like, yeah, she is. (laughs) (laughs) Including the prostitutes, like, yeah, I am. How did you uh, know? Tom Bateman. Like, I'm Poirot. Yeah, Tom Bateman is book. <laughs> and he also like he's a nice, like, he's like he's a sort of like a nerd where like he's not that smart. He's really lazy, and somehow like you can see that Poirot almost finds it charming. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> cause he's honest the, about it. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is this Poirot like he says I don't like both Poros don't like being lied to, and this is a guy who has never told a single lie in his life. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, I'm awful, and Poirot's like, I appreciate that. <laughs> That's what I appreciate about you. Yeah, that is what I appreciate. And they also about they you. have that wonderful great scene of like Book tries to guess the murder and it goes, Wrong. If it was easy, I would not be famous. <laughs> Next. <laughs> like he uh, gets he gets Poirot's pomposity. Yeah. Actually, can we can we just have a uh, take a moment here to to do a little bit of appreciation of various things from the 2017 version? Because I do I I want to underscore that it's not a bad movie. Like, and I keep saying that, but largely because I had a worse time watching it than I would have if I hadn't just watched the LeMay version right before. I watched it before the LeMay version for the rewatch, and I found mm-hmm. myself like having trouble like getting through it because i didn't hate it but it was also like uh and then i found myself watching the lemay version like the next day nope no problem fucking loved it yeah uh but like uh i think we mentioned willem dafoe before but they give him a lovely little meal because like (laughs) he's his character is pretending to be a race scientist austrian (laughs) for a good chunk of the movie and so he just very much foreshadowing nazi stuff right yeah just He's he's very much like doing a bit of like this is what a uh, 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 brain pan measuring psycho uh, Austrian academic in the 30s would be like, and then we find out, and then it's revealed that like no, you're not. That. He's a Pinkerton you're, Asian. You're a, you're a Pinkerton. Which may, one may argue is worse, but <laughs> <laughs> well, he was also a former cop. 
Um, and so, like, yeah, like, Poro just has a nice little time stripping him of his stuff. And, like, I love Defoe's response, because he's just like, oh, you got me. <laughs> yeah, because, well, what happens is Poro was like, I know you're an Austrian doctor, because you screwed up the word touring, because it wouldn't be touring, it'd be touring. Like, like, like your accent is wrong. Yeah. And Defoe immediately drops it for, like, this trashy East Coast accent, and he's like, ah, he's trying so hard. And I, I always... Like, I'm a sucker for that little kind of detail reveal. I, like, one of my favorites is uh, from Inglorious Bastards. Oh, yeah, is, the, uh, the German the, three? Using the wrong, yeah, using the wrong fingers to show the number three. I just, I always love little bits Well, and like also, that. like, it's, that's it's, also it's, very Christy, especially in because of very yeah, dealing absolutely. with language uh, and the cultural uh, differences of how we pronounce things. Mm. I, I did want to ask an possibly embarrassingly dumb question, right? Okay. So they, we're so they're going to the Orient Express, and they start out in Jordan, I think. In Jordan, and yeah. so they're in, and then they go up. They're going in through like Yugoslavia and stuff, and it ends with them like somewhere in the Baltics, right? Oh, uh, they go through Italy in some Balkans. places. Sorry, yeah. So he starts off in North Africa goes through Asia and into Europe. And in the 2017 one, when he gets off the train in fucking Eastern Europe, somebody meets him there and says, you have to go back to Africa, which rendered the whole trip he had moot, right? Like, geography is not my strong point, and I did not get out a map, but I've been pondering <laughs> over that for, like... Again, the it's the franchise... Time aspect of yeah it. james bond will return right. in well, not only that but like death on an isle doesn't even pick up right after but did you have oh. to set up for it to be that i guess no, i don't because, know because like it it wasn't even a fridge moment i was immediately like isn't that where he literally just came from uh um, that where well, he literally just came from because the 74 version just ends yeah the 74 version just ends, uh. but the 2017 was like that whole trip you took this whole thing you did um well well, also, yeah. uh, Brownell's version, in addition to going, in the keeping with the theme of going big, the mm. avalanche is this giant, oh god, massive <laughs> climate change weather storm going on. Like knocks the train off slightly off of the rails. Well, as the seventy four is like, like eh, snow drift. It happens. <laughs> and this is also yeah. partly because when you have CGI, you can go bigger. And I think part of it's... what he's doing is he. I think that the bigger aspect fits in with his theatrical personality because everyone involved in the 2017 version is either a friend of Brano's or from the Royal Shakespeare Company. Mm. Um, whereas the 1974 version, you have this very interesting sort of half the cast. Half the cast is from the theater, and the other half the cast are movie stars. Like, mainly movies. And, like, supposedly, like, they were all in awe of each other because you have these titans from different worlds. The oh, theater yeah. people and all like of the that. movie people and the movie people, of course, and all of the theater people. And you and it also shows in, like, how the different ways they act. You mm. have some people like Sean Connery who are just very, like, external. And then you have people like John Gilgold. Um, or... Um, well, Anthony Perkins is external, but you get what I'm saying. Mm. Different performances, whereas the 2017, it's also very, all very uniform. Yeah. Like, everyone does a good job. 
and everyone's doing. But they're not playing off right. of each other as much. Not, it's not like, a, which is odd because they're all theater people, and I think that's also yeah. because when as a director, but that doesn't make any sense because he did fucking Hamlet. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't know what the like. It's it strikes me very much as like it feels like a it it feels like a weird merge of a passion project. And like studio fluff, right? Because death like, I, on the I don't Nile. understand how those. I don't understand how those two things could end up <laughs> like merged into each other. Like, I, I don't and this is it. what I, it ends with. Like, because it's not a bad movie, and at an adaptation, no. it's fine. It's because I enjoyed it, though when I saw it yeah. in theaters. Although, well, well, you keep going, and I'll I'll do the all. Uh, but I just. Maybe it's also because I love LeMay as a director more. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but I really dig the 1974 version. Yeah. I also think uh, it has more faith in its audience. Yes, absolutely. Um, like the, the, the inability to trust the audience is that, and that, which I think is what fuels that lack of subtlety that the, the 2017 one has. And I don't know if I want to blame like Branagh and co for that, because that is just kind of how audience or audiences are treated right. in the present. It's just sort, of, sort of taken as red. Right. Because but, well, one audience that we need to be, have a multiverse set up. We can't just have a movie about a multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but like Kara can vouch for this. Like I, I, I did like nitpick a bunch of stuff through through the the movie, uh, and I, I. But again, like mainly just because I'm crazy. But there is a point where I demanded the blood of the cinematographer. Like, okay, I had to pause the movie and leave the room. <laughs> okay, because I was teetering when we had the gunfight with the the doctor sniper. Right. Right. I was I was on I was on edge there. I was a little edgy. And then we run head first into the goddamn last supper. <laughs> like So I just which, it lost me so hard. Which is it, like it, also really confusing mm. because who's Judas? Right. So, <laughs> like, again, matter. this is what I'm saying cool. is that somebody was being like, oh, I will take this cool photo. And it's like that. Yeah. It is a very cool photo. Very much. What, yeah. um, <laughs> what's in the context of this murder mystery? What's it saying? Because if you're going to take a picture of the Last Supper, someone is being sacrificed and someone is Judas. Oh, Who God. I just Judas? realized that they, they had Michelle Pfeiffer's character be stabbed because she's yes, Jesus. Yes. I forgot about that. Oh, no. For no reason. I hate it. <laughs> Oh, that's also, by the way, not in the book. That was ridiculous. But yeah, no, it was, it was clearly not in the book. Like Carol was complaining about that this morning, like uh, v- rightly, <laughs> like just being like, why did they, there's no reason. To I also think the 1974 version is a perfect example of how to edit and shoot a performance that cuts away from an actor, but does so in a way that helps enhance the performance. Because Fanny's denouement is this massive monologue. And like they cut it, they cut to different scenes and flashbacks and everything while he's talking. But it never feels like in a way like to undercut it, it only enhances what he's saying. Yeah, it never feels like we're leaving the scene that 
then we're just being shown sort of what he's what's in his head as he's still talking. Also, it contains one of my favorite Poirot moments on film, in which he gets really angry that people are telling him useless lies, like why, 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 why. <laughs> and someone I know is like, well, he shouldn't have been angry because he should be used to people lying to him. It's like that doesn't mean he likes it. That doesn't mean it doesn't like. <laughs> Get under his skin when it's useless. Well, I mean, I would argue yeah, that it's just... a useless lie because it doesn't further the narrative. Right. It's like, <laughs> if you're going to lie to me, line up your story with the other four people involved in your murder plot. Christ, people, this is embarrassing for both of us. Wow. Yeah, it's like, his, his complaint is that the liars aren't as smart as he is. <laughs> uh, wow, Branos is very Shakespearean. It's a soliloquy almost. Because yeah, because he's on a journey, yeah. and that's that's that weakens it so much to me. Because like I I the Shakespearean comparison actually did help me understand the choices that they made a lot, but like that makes a lot more yeah. sense. Uh, because like he's taking this character through an emotional journey that in the original movie in the in the May movie and in the book is not there because the mystery like, is not as changing. designed by Christie is not. Hmm set up for an arc like that yeah <laughs> it's very it's, much just yeah. a simple mystery <laughs> and again all of the actors do a fine job with their like soliloquies and dramatic reveals at, at their big jesus table at the end daisy ridley but is it... really good holding up her own against kenneth Branagh. because oh, yeah. that's a heavyweight um, but at the same time vanessa mm-hmm. redgrave is just has very little dialogue and she just almost steals the scene every time she comes on. Yeah. Um, Actually, can I say something like very different from the usual vibe we've had? We're like, oh, I like the 74 one over the 2017. Yeah, go ahead. Mm. I'm going to say something that's going to get me hanged. Okay. Okay. I I had a good time with both of them. Mm -hmm. 74 one more than the 2017 one. But in the 74 version, I actually turned at one point to Thaddeus at the beginning when everything was getting put together and said, I'm bored now. Can we move on? <laughs> I want the murder. Uh-huh. I want it now. And I honestly, if it had been Mia doing it, me being the uh, famous film star and director that I am. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, I like, I don't mind a red herring, but there were red herrings that weren't about the murder mystery, but like trying to get the audience off track of what was happening and sometimes it was difficult to be like, where did we get this information? How do we know this is true? Like, why does he know that? And I don't. And honestly, both of the movies in some ways, and actually the 74 version in some ways, feels more like Gibbard. Like, I don't get why we're doing this. I don't get why this is the question being asked. And even in the end, when everything's revealed, I'm like, I still don't get it. Like, if it was me doing it, I'm like, these movies don't feel tight enough. Okay. If there isn't a reason for this thing happening, why is it happening? I, uh, I that's really that's from the modern sense of everything must have a purpose. Yeah, it's, it's and mm. that's why I said like I am a very modern movie viewer in some ways, and it and to be clear, like not everything has to have a purpose in the sense of it has to further their plot. I am very much here for things that build an understanding of character or an understanding of like values and things like that. But overall, I'm like. If this thing happened and it's a murder mystery and I'm trying to figure out clues and you don't explain to me this happened because this character thinks this way or because it involved the plot in this way, then it's just a thing that you wasted my very precious time on this earth with. 
<laughs> and uh, that's a very modern, modern movie take. Yeah. yeah. Like you, there's just a, a pace that you enjoy in, in modern filmmaking that it's, it's not wrong. No. It's just different. Um, I can see how in the, especially in the beginning of the 74 one, cause there are a lot of atmosphere shots. Very beginning. Mm. I was like, I'm not having a good time. And then after the murder happened, then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm 110% on board. Let's go. I think also, like, once, like, for me, it starts picking up once they get to the train station and started introducing everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think also part of the theatrical element of the 74 one is LeMay does a, like, loves having introducing the actors, them getting on the Mm, train. Very much. And then at the end, there's an encore sort of, like, final bow with the champagne glasses. Mm Mm-hmm. Just sort of like almost as a sort of like a great cast deserves a second mention type deal. Yeah. And I I think in, in terms of that sort of looking at that mentality, I think it shows a lot in the fact that the, the 2017 one, it starts with introducing Poirot very thoroughly. Yeah. Like it, it, it very, it communicates very much that while there is a great like cast of characters, it is fundamentally about him. Right. And also, he misses Poirot. He's a genius. Here's an example. <laughs> yeah, we know you're not going to believe us. So, And also, like, it, do- it does lean in much more into his fussiness. I, I hesitate to call it OCD because it's not really... Fitness. That's okay. Everyone else who wrote about this movie didn't hesitate, <laughs> so I think you're fine. I probably did, too, at the time. Um, but, like, it does lean a lot more right, Carol, into that. What? Uh, did you say something? Fastidious. Fastidious, yeah. Ah. Very much so. Up to, like, like the whole point with him stepping in, like, I guess it was camel dung. Yeah. And he's like, I need... Hold on. There we go. <laughs> I, I loved that, actually. <laughs> that was the first thing I loved in the movie, was him having to step in it with both... Well, people, that and also like the that. fact, like, he yeah, didn't blame the kid for the imperfect eggs. Mm-hmm. No. Like, he's not, not an a-hole. <laughs> it is the chicken. Yeah. And also the fact that he loves that one chef because he makes symmetrical pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, l- there's a lot. There's a lot to enjoy in the 2017 uh, the version. Like I, I just uh, am a 70s film guy at heart. Apparently, <laughs> well, like I said, a lot of the stuff that you like, he streamlines better into Death of a Nile. Okay, that that actually makes me very because, like, he, he, he also I was, I was the glad. music in the 74 one is yeah. so much more like. I think that's about a job. Yes. There was actually a part at the, the very end. So the denouement where he's explaining the plot and the yeah. music does that modern thing where it rises. And I mm. actually, I said, I like, shut up. Right. Shut up. He's speaking. <laughs> shut up. I got, so, I'm so mad. Like, Poirot is speaking. I don't care what your orchestra has to say. Um, <laughs> and Death of a Nile, he gives it a blues soundtrack because it's all about lost love and regret and all that. That's yeah, fun. it is. And it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, a lot of the issues here he irons out, I think, in Death on an Island. That's good. Uh, I I will add that to my list of things to actually watch then. <laughs> I, I was I was unsure if I was going to follow up well, after this one. Not because I didn't like it, but just because, you know, I'm, I'm lazy. people giving the Death of a Nile, like, criticism in a way that... So I did read the criticism of, of this movie, this 2017 movie, and a lot of the said things that we said, which is like, why are we outside the train so much? Get them back in the train. Right. We want to talk to the actors. You know, those things that, that we that I agree with. But um, a lot of those death and I are like, I just don't like Gal Gadot. And I'm like, well, that's valid, but I don't see what's 
how right. that looks in the film. Um, like you don't well, you don't have like you don't have to like her. There are certain actors that I see their face and I'm like, oh, why are you still alive? But um, uh, also, Death of a Nile has unintentionally or intentionally like a sort of theme running through it that fits with mm-hmm. his like the moral arc. In, te- oh, in terms okay. of him learning about the gray area and being okay with that, well, that's that's good because like that there wasn't ri- that was an arc that in in this movie just seemed to be there because it was decided there needed to be an arc right. like it didn't didn't really fit with what was going on so that's that's good to hear uh, I, yeah I like that. and also the lost love thing also with his uh, wife fits much more into a movie in which there's nothing but like lost love and stolen lovers and everything. Oh. Um, I think the story just lends itself better to what Brown I was wanting to do than happened hmm. here. I wonder that like that that actually kind of makes me wonder if it's more like wanted to do Death on the Nile more, but like Murder on the Orient Express had name recognition right. or something insane you, like that. Because I'm actually okay with there being a franchise of uh Kenneth Brownell Poirot movies. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, that, not yeah, I'm not against Because that could also lead to who knows what, like Margot Martindale, Miss Marple movies. I don't know. I'm just something. <laughs> or Viola Davis, Miss Marple, something. Like, there's no reason why we can't bring in the other Christie's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, look, bringing, bringing more attention to Agatha Christie is not a bad thing. Well, like, unless I'm, we're I'm, talking about it and then there were none, but that's an entirely. <laughs> the story's like great, that? the title's not so much. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. That that's one of the things where it's so racist. They changed it to an even racist title. It's like, stop it. Yeah, yes. look. Why? Look, there's a lot of really great things from the past that just it's rough to get back to right. them. Because this also made me think of uh, Murder by Death, yeah. which of course made me think of Charlie Chan, which of course made me cringe until my body turned uh, inside out. All right, that's all the but time. After yeah. I went to bed, because I don't remember that. <laughs> let's uh, we'll talk about it later we should stop podcasting all right, that's all the time we have for now um watch both of these you'll probably enjoy the 74 version better at least we did <laughs> yeah if you're a, well if you're a dork and a nerd and a weirdo then you'll enjoy the the 1974 version better if you're like a person of the modern you're world square doesn't have time for for yeah if, if you're a person uh, from like the real world and like uh and, and like uh, a woman about town like Kara, then you'll probably like the twenty. That's not really. Sorry, did you just call me a whore? <laughs> Thank I, you. No, I just have to point out that that's probably not true because my wife's pretty weird and a nerd, and she enjoyed the twenty seventeen version more. Oh well, then maybe it's just uh, maybe it's one is the boy one and one is the girl one. Whoa, that's, that's what we've learned today. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I like the you know what? Ben's gonna stop the recording right now. Of them. 